Welcome back to the basement, everyone. You are now tuned into Chunky Glasses, the podcast yet again. Uh, get comfortable. Grab a seat. Uh, we're here for you. We're always here for you. Um, hope you tuned in earlier this week to hear us talk about the new album from Lucy Dacus, No Burden. Uh, an amazing album, and uh, at least we thought so, and hopefully you'll think so too. So if you haven't done that, uh, first stop and go back and, and listen to that album, and then listen to us yeah, about it, and then come back to this. Uh, but we have another thrilling episode for you this week. Uh, we're going to be talking about an album called uh, by a guy named M. Ward. Now he's uh, sort of indie royalty at this point. You know him from his solo career. You know him from Monsters of Folk. You know him from She and Him. He is back with More Rain. Uh, I think it's his third on Merge Records. So uh, Patrick and I are going to dig into that. And you know, um, if you look over there, it says buy and stream. It's a pretty uh, in-depth discussion about about these types of artists right now. So you know. Uh, as I often say when we, we start to go on mic here, it's not all like shit and rainbows. Uh, you know, there's there's good and bad sides to everything, so we sort of explore that here. Um, we're not hating. We're just exploring. Exploring our feelings. Our deep, deep feelings about M. Ward. Um, before that, though, uh, if you remember when we talked about the Kanye West's new album, or did not, uh, in fact, just talked about the uh, him and Taylor Swift uh, that beef starting back up, or his misogyny. Uh, Patrick wanted to sort of get a listen to the album, get the context of the album uh, before he passed judgment on that. So uh, before we talk about it more, we're going to be talking about uh, Kanye from Patrick's point of view. Yet another thrilling conversation. One of the last we're going to have about Kanye, even though this this Kanye train keeps rolling on uh, with its hilarity. Uh, and then to wrap it all up, we're going to be playing you a track from uh, Moody Man, picked by Patrick. Sort of a Patrick-centric podcast. Uh, so that's what you're in for. Uh, if you're ready, I can get, get going with it. So here I go. I'm going to go push play in the thing. And uh, right now in your ears is episode number 162 of Chunky Glasses, the podcast, where we're talking about M. Ward's new album, More Rain. Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man Nearly a two-word review just said shit sandwich. I will roll the record up and down. That right there is a logical fallacy. I reserve You reserve judgment. judgments. You reserve judgment. Also, we've got a few more antics uh, that we can get. Oh, yeah. Of. I saw so, some of the stuff yesterday. Yeah, so uh, if, you're, if you're ready to get going. I'm ready when you are. Uh, we are back in the basement, Patrick. It's just, uh, you know, we're continuing on in the trend of just two-man podcasts. It's, it's, it's a little easier, yeah. a little easier to manage. we got Gus down here. Gizmo is actually down here for this yeah. one. So two-man, two cats. That's, a, that's, that's your formula for this evening. Um... Like I said up front, we're going to be talking about a new album from M. Ward, uh, but what is dominating the headlines, the news cycle, since uh, besides Kesha, which we talked about in the last podcast, still Kanye West. Um, today or th- yesterday, I believe it was, you know, it, it's about a three o'clock Twitter storm. 
That's when you can expect it. Three o'clock comes rolling across the plains mm-hmm. and then hits the internet. Uh, this one was uh, directed at the Grammys, but earlier uh, he was responding to Bob Ezrin. Now, if you don't know who Bob Ezrin is, he's one of the most legendary producers, uh, living, dead. I mean, Pink Floyd. Who, who else? Like, just everybody? Yeah, I I, nothing's jumping into my mind, but if you go back in history, he's produced a whole bunch of big. Yeah, he, he's done everything, and um, he uh, he he puts this thing out and he said uh, West has made some great material, but that he isn't uh, on the creative level as some other prominent artists. And said, I lament for a world where being truly world-shakingly excellent at anything, at least in the field of popular music, if not elsewhere, is no longer absolutely necessary. Uh, to that, Mr. West had some very strong words, started attacking his children, saying they must be embarrassed for him, uh, ending it with, like, mm. positive vibes. Uh, this breakdown is continuing now, uh, and the reason I wanted to bring it up, partially to revisit, you wanted to, like, hear the album to Sir Patrick to, to get a sense of, we were talking about the Taylor lyric. Right. But now, now, that wall that I had between... Uh, his art and his personality, that's crumbled. Mm. I think we can all believe that's crumbled. I've heard a lot of people say, get off the Coke, you know, get on your meds, whatever. But uh, how, how do you weigh all this, Patrick? Big questions. Um, so where to start? Um, I think before this album came out, we all knew he was batshit crazy, but mm-hmm. so- sometimes it was sort of fun. Um, yeah. not fun or funny or he, he, he seemed to have a sense of humor about some of the stuff. I think a lot of that's gone away. Humor is key. Yeah. <clears throat> I also think like ending a rant of vitriolic tweets at someone by saying good vibes doesn't yeah. really <laughs> cure anything. It's sort of like when you walk up to someone and say, don't take this personally, but, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> I, I hate your face and your teeth and your smell. <laughs> um, so like that's a little hard to swallow, but, um, in general, I think he's pretty close to a – I think he may have lost his mind. I mean, I think when you did your Twitter thing the other day, you had some, like, video of The Rock you, you yeah, posted. Yeah, The Rock rolling his legs because and, Twitter has gifts now. Oh, does it? Yeah. Okay, so – I'm not on Twitter. So the thing – after I listened to our us talking about the, the Taylor Swift line and I right. sort of reserved judgment and I was sort of paying attention to the album and some of the tweets that were going on with it, and maybe someone else said this, but I started to think – it's really just like a pro- a professional wrestling heel. Like it's sort yeah. of like he's just saying crazy stuff to m- f- get people into a froth, and because he can't control his rage. And are we, are we talking about Kanye or Trump? Con- Kanye. Okay. <laughs> I cannot speak to politics. Yes. Um, but but it, it, that's kind of where I'm at. Like, and that that's a good segue in that I certainly. Th- don't like the Taylor Swift line, but in the context of that song and where it is on the album and all the other things, I think it's sort of like, I think he thought to himself, if I say this, it'll get attention and people will hate me for it, but it's okay because I'm the heel and that's part of the joke. And like, he's trying to layer it out. In that song, it's about like, uh, I think one of the lines verbatim might be like all the bitches I fucked, like something like that. Right. And he's... Uh, I, I think that song, in the context of the first part of that album, he understands that he's like out of control and out of his mind, mm. and that's his excuse for saying that. But I also think what I mean by a professional wrestling heel is it's almost just sheer pr- 
provocation of the masses. And so right. I, I think the high road on that line might be to just say, whatever, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to take it seriously. Right. Um, because it, I almost think he wants you to be mad about it. And that's a game I don't really want to play. And that also drives into, to follow up with the conversation we had earlier of me reserving judgment until I heard the album, like, we've been talking about the DeRogatis review offline right, a little bit. Right. Like I think Jim DeRogatis's take is pretty on point, like sonically and from a production standpoint and from a guest artist standpoint, there's a lot to be said for mm -hmm. this album. The weakest parts of this album are when Kanye opens his mouth. <laughs> right. 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 And you know, to, to jump over to, to his uh, sort of going off on the Grammys, uh, you know, I guess when when do we start worrying about uh, when do we start worrying about the, the mental health of Kanye? Like really, really worrying about it. You know, I Marcus and I were down here talking about pop, and it's a it's a show. It's like I said, it's a wrestling heel. Mm -hmm. It's like all of this. Like, but at some point, it it becomes not, and it becomes very serious. And I think people historically have gotten f f just fucked up who are in the business and take it seriously because you can't, if you look at like U2's uh, zoo TV tour, that's what they were absolutely in the pop tour, especially. Mm -hmm. So they were poking fun of like all of this. Yes. It brings in millions of dollars, but look at yourself, look, look at what you're doing and stuff. And yet we have these people that are taking this seriously. You know, he, he leveled some criticisms against the Grammys, but then uh, didn't he say, I love the Grammys. They're important to me. Right, right, right. But he was, and, you know, you know, he was saying, you know, maybe ASAP Rocky should be up there. Futures should be up there. Uh, you know, that Portno wasn't really doing a great job with diversity. Like all of these things aren't not true. Right. <laughs> it's just, uh, he frames it with a layer of crazy that you can't necessarily take it seriously mm -hmm. to the point that like, uh, Portnoy responded today and said, uh, basically our doors are open anytime. Hmm. You're one of us. You know, calling him out a little bit. Yeah. I'm I mean, talking. calling him out a little bit. I mean, look, there's, we know the Grammys are, it's a voting member. You can actually join, found this out the other day. You can join for a hundred bucks. You can be a Grammy member. Mm. Uh, and you can vote on this stuff. So, you know, you can change it, but obviously the body of, of, or this body, what they respect is, you know, this year, Taylor Swift, sure. you know, Kendrick Lamar was there mm -hmm. and delivered yeah. the greatest performance that maybe has ever been seen on television, probably since the Beatles, probably better than the Beatles. Let's not go there, but it was dynamite. <laughs> it was fucking fantastic. Um, so, you know. I guess is Kanye just being completely? Is it a Kanye thing, or do we need do we need to start worrying? Do we, do we need to like send somebody? Does somebody need to like have an intervention? Well, it's a larger discussion. I mean, what prepares you to be as famous as Kanye is, is nothing. Uh, do I think Kanye was like at least marginally sane before he got this famous? I want to believe that he was. Do I also? think he had a big ego before like right. that was outsized before he got this famous yes that's part of what drives people to get this famous is ego uh but yeah i think i think the question is can anyone communicate to kanye um accurately the impact and the ripple of what's going on in terms of the response to what he is spitting out without right. much thought. 
And when the world reacts, his general reaction, is, he's dug in and he says, you know, white media shouldn't review my music, <laughs> yeah. anymore, which is kind of crazy. Um, but um, because because I mean, in, in a large respect, like it it was white people who made him famous. Well, no, it was because there he was, was a backpack rapper. And, he was a, it wasn't yeah. just that; it was the crossover. It, right. was, it was using and 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 I say this very carefully. It was using safe sounds right. uh, that has always proved to be uh, provide crossover appeal to, to chopped rap and up hip-hop. soul. Right, right, yeah, and and that put in front of an NPR audience, you got you got them. Yeah, I mean, that might be an oversimplification, no it offense, is. It but, is. but I, I take your point. But the larger question is like, who can communicate? Look, if I if he was, oh, this is going to get bad, so I'm not going to say it. But I was going to say, <laughs> if he was married to someone who could give him wise counsel, or, some, or if I knew that he had people close to him that he trusted, yeah. or that I felt like, if, if I felt like Jay-Z could get through to him and say something wise mm-hmm. and would say something wise, I would say maybe that's the point. But I, A, I don't know if Jay-Z cares and wants to do it and deal with Kanye. I don't know how close they actually are. B, I'm not sure at this point Kanye would even listen to Jay-Z. Like, yeah. I think that's part of the problem is he's so famous now that who is he really going to listen to? Yeah. I don't think if his wife goes crazy about something, he's really going to listen to it. Uh, and I'm not sure she even perceives what's going on. So, like, I don't know what his reality check is. I think that's the issue. And to take that another step, you and I were emailing today about the Chance the Rapper verse on Ultralight Beam, which I quite like. But it's and also I, I quite I like, dislike. It's also because I like Chance the Rapper, and I think the song is kind of interesting. But the larger point is, like, Chance the Rapper has now done a whole genius thing where he did notes on that song that I yeah. saw. I haven't read it, but I saw that he did it. And, like... Kendrick Lamar clearly wanted to be on this album and Rihanna wanted to be on this album. And it doesn't seem like anyone's ready to speak truth to power here. But And that's part of the issue. Like even these people who are up and coming or who are great artists or about to be great artists, if they're not already great, are not going to go to him and say, hey, take a break, lay off, just stop talking for a while. You got, you got to remember though, all these people were on singles. It's a very different thing to be going in to work with your idol, which he is to all these people, on a single, than to be, you know, you you played on this part and you did this, and all of a sudden the guy puts together the most monstrous thing, you know, ever. And and I think that, you know, I I haven't heard if there's been any response to people that have been in the album. Chance has been incredibly supportive of it, actually, you know, Ultra Light Beam. And, uh, um, yeah, I. The chance is the one I forgive the most. Chicago South Side. I mean, that's got to be. He's about ten years younger than Kanye, maybe fifteen, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he's got to see Kanye as a total guy, and, and he's he's right. He's like like trying to single handedly save Chicago. Yeah. Right. So I that's mean, what I, I mean, like, I, I, don't I, think... I can disparage like Chance the Rapper's like like raps. Yeah. I cannot disparage the man no, like I mean, at all. He's fantastic. He is, yeah. and but uh, yeah, it's. I, I just because the end product like is now not on sale, you can't get it. You're never going to be able to get it, and it might not be finished. It might not be finished, and honestly, I'm not as steeped in Jesus as I should be. And I also think Watch the Throne. I listened to it, and I just was like, Watch I the just, Throne was there. I'm just sort of mad about this because you 
you let Otis Redding sing for two and a half minutes and then you started rapping over it. That's not really a song. I had a negative reaction to that album. Right. But first four albums, as I said last time, are, are, yeah. I'll say it again. I don't think we've seen somebody put a run like that together in a long time. Like, at what point do we just say this isn't your even close to your best work? It's not. Life I think people are saying it. And, and I, I think it's close to think, the bottom of your works. And, y- you know, like, it's sort of like we were talking about the other, the last time uh-huh. with Eminem. Is this the end of the of the Kanye run? Like, fully the end? Like, he really doesn't seem to have anything left to say that's interesting. He doesn't, his his ability to do something interesting with rhymes and rap and, and you know, spitting a lyric, said the white guy, are seem to be diminished. His greatest talent right now seems to be gathering and uh, harvesting good young talent and mm-hmm. identifying it, and also which was how he seems he to be start, like a, he started right, as a producer. He seems to be a good producer. Like these right. songs, sonically taking away his his raps, they're they're quite nice, but they some of them don't sound fully finished. I mean, the question is like, what is he going forward? And I think he's really at a crossroads, both. In terms of his art, but I also, in, and I mean music, not the boots and whatever else he's doing, or the shoes. <laughs> but but also I think, like, spiritually and emotionally, like, as crazy as he's been before, it just seems like he's now reached a point of potentially no return. And that's what you're saying. Is like, yeah. The, who the, is going to stand up to Kanye and say, it's, it's the been, emperor has no clothes. Yeah. Go back to school and, like, do something interesting. Yeah, because I mean, we are existing in a in a post pimpa butterfly world, and, right? And that and that that's a real fucking thing, right? And uh, and you know, he just didn't, and I think we accidentally reviewed the Kanye album just now, but yeah, I was no, sort of. but but you know, I I wanted to talk a little more about it, and we probably will because I'm sure there will be your daily scheduled Twitter storm, uh, because it is. The guy is clearly talented, and and to see this happen to anybody, you have to have a level of just as a human, a level of empathy for that, and be like, oh man, like that's that's fucked yeah, up, I, man. I agree, but I think the hard. Let me add a last a last point: is it's easy for us to sit here and say that as people with regular nine to five jobs who aren't. I mean, it's the twenty third most influential podcast with a bullet, yeah. clearly gaining steam every day. But the fact of the matter is. When you're that famous, it's sort of what I call the Keith Richards rule, where where mm-hmm. Tracy, will, my wife, will sometimes be like, um, "What do you, what do you think Keith Richards would say about this?" And I'd be like, "Well, <laughs> he's living in a totally different universe from sure. you and me. Like he sure. he's living in a totally different universe, um, and so it it doesn't a it doesn't matter what he would say because it's not relevant. But b his take would be something completely beyond the realm of our existence right now, and so." Maybe that's the point. Is is maybe maybe where Kanye has gone is so far away from anything that is important to anyone on a day to day basis that what I would wish for him is to to try to get back to like communicating with yeah. people. I I sort of wish that the, the the next tweet is my God it's full of stars, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> on that note let's uh, let's jump forward and talk about some more. Anybody? 
somebody got a load that they need lifted. Anybody got a pain in their heart? There's a place you can hide when they're conspiring against your confession. Somebody need a body to save the day. Somebody need a love that goes all the way. There's a place you can go where I know they'll never find you. Confession. Confession out of Mother Lord. Confession to a virgin ghost. Admission for says you know. Admission of what you don't. That uh, sweet, sultry voice right there is one Matthew Stephen Ward uh, from Portland, Oregon. You know him better as M. Ward. Uh, he's been making lo-fi records since around 1999. Uh, unfortunately, and we're going to talk about this, he's probably most famous uh, for she and him. Yeah. It, think about it. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, he probably is. Yeah, but really, he has a good run of records. This is actually his ninth record. Uh, his first record, uh, Duet Guitars, number two, came out in 99. Uh, you have records like Post War, Transistor Radio, uh, and then I think Whole Time was the first merge one. Probably. What is the one that has that incredible cover of Let's Dance? Is that Duets for Guitars, or is that... I'm not the, sure. The we should put Vincent it in the show Vango notes. one. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. If you've never heard his cover of Let's Dance, yeah. look it up after this. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, you know, his... Uh, like I said, his his last two albums, I think, have been on Merge. I know The Wasteland Companion yes, was. Yes, the last two were on Merge. Yeah. Uh, he kind of threatened to blow up on, on Wasteland Companion as far as hit the big time. I think he did on, on Hold Time. That's when, like... Uh, much like an iron and wine, you know, yeah. he was going, that, that's the course he's done. Um, you know, this is, uh, these, these albums have charted the last few like billboard. Oh shit. Have yeah. they? Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. then the power of, of she and him, mm-hmm. uh, where this is four years since his last album, where we find M Ward is almost exactly in the same place, which is an interesting thing after nine albums. Uh, you're shaking your head. So I could do a compare and contrast between this and uh, all right. Well, let's start with the compare and contrast here. Okay, so a wasteland companion um, is a spooky um, uh, album, which has a lot of very, even though it's not apparently not a T.S. Eliot reference per se. When you listen to that, the lyrics on that, it has got very specific characters. It's got a very specific set of words and adjectives and phrases that are used. Lyrically, the difference between that album and this album, there's only one song on this album that has like a specific name of any individual, and that is the girl from Conejo Valley. Mm -hmm. The rest of it is just like noun, verb, pronoun. I mean, the lyrics are super simple. He he's not trying to draw attention to the lyrics. Where I was, I feel like on the last album he was a lot more. He was doing a lot more with telling a story or being specific about the lyrics, or even dare I say a little more literary on the last album. He's not doing it here. I also think the vibe on the last album was a little more spare, a little more spooky, a little bit more haunted. Um, a little bit more disconcerting. I think this album is a great big um, electrified hug. 
<laughs> an electrified hug. Well, I was going to say hug, put that, but I, put but that I, I don't want to make it sound like it's a wet, sloppy hug. Yeah, like yeah, yeah sympathy. No. It's, it's got some, some, um, well, it, it's, it's got some vitality it, to it that, that, that is, is good in the hug. But compared to the last one, it is, I feel quite different. I think it's a change, but. I, well, it's interesting because I think he occupies a place in songwriting, and I don't know the the I don't know what you would call this. It's not you. Know, you have like murder ballads, right. and but then you have the stuff that falls into like the Springsteen uh, thing, like "Hey, little girls, your daddy home." Like this is it's always about some like little baby, little girl, like some something, if not using that same language, and and it's a yeah. mode that he has never ever gotten out of and it serves him well mm-hmm. I, I i guess it's a, a sort of like a buddy holly trick who is a huge idol of m words just to like sure i don't think he cares that much about the lyrics no offense m right i mean is that what it is because like what i found going into this album is that i didn't connect to it until today you know the, the song like uh slow driving man mm. that that is like we we were saying it's the most interesting song on this album um it seems to me like his career to date has been made up of these type of songs, you know, non-generalized. A band that we actually had down here, mm. the Pines, also do that and create these sort of small, like little universes, mm-hmm. and but they create like deep, rich narratives. Whereas M. Ward goes for the uh, historically has gone for just the really like pop hit and not defining that at least. This is, this is how this is how I'm remembering his catalog right now, uh, you know. And and in the past, I've been a big M Ward fan, but uh, I feel like what we're looking at is is a weird is a concept I've been playing with. Is you know the 2000s were big on this kind of music, huge. You had Jenny Lewis. What, what do you mean by this kind of music? Well, be uh, specific. Um, very. Um, Without passing judgment, very safe like indie rock. This is this is NPR rock writ large, and but it's the best kind of it. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so well, we're going to talk about that. So, if you know that era, it was it was just ripe with it. It was just you know the stuff growing everywhere. There's an abundance of it. And so now you see these artists like leak into their uh, what should which led be, to Mumford and Sons. It did lead to Mumford yes. and Sons, but no, now no all, question. Yeah, and, but now all these artists are now in their legacy years. So, for example, we just saw Den- Jenny Lewis playing "Rabbit Fur Coat" with M Ward playing. I saw Ockerville and, River play "Black Sheep" at the Black Cat, right. which was a ten-year-old album. Right, I mean that that band is either going to do something great or they're going to go away. I mean, I, I'm sad they haven't gone away already, but. But no, but that's what I mean. This is a band from who peaked, who who put out some great stuff ten, eight, and seven I, years ago. That was I'm really great, at. but it's no longer seems to be coming into the forefront of critical indie stuff. Right. So, but it, it's going to. It got. It just got a first listen on NPR today. So I guess the theory I've been working with is all this stuff is this replacing what uh, you know what we used to be indie alternative underground. Is this just completely replacing? Mm. Uh, what we th- thought of as underground, and then you know, <laughs> I know it's it's sort of a it's sort of a big question. It's sort of a big theory. well, it's a big question with an oversimplification at the front. But keep going yeah. before I talk. You know, because you know you you're always going to have underground music, and you're always going to have like stuff people doing little like pocket genres, niche genres. That seems to have decreased. Like 
like exponentially to where you have a million niches hmm. within a, a niche. But stuff like M. Ward and what he's doing, and to be clear, this guy is an immaculate producer. An immaculate guitar player. He is an un. If you see him like, live, he's an unbelievable guitar player. Yeah, he is an un. And I say that as a guitar player, like he is an unfucking believable guitar player. But like when I heard this album, what was most interesting to me was that, and it was, it didn't feel like, except for the one song, uh, that there was a lot to say that hadn't been said, not just by him, but by Mumford and Sons. Mm, that's that's pushing it. Well, yeah. Yeah, I think I take your point and and I'll sort of interpret it the way that I choose to. But I think what you're saying is there's nothing dangerous here. Right. There's nothing experimental here. And what may have been what may have passed for um, experimental for M. Ward ever is when he started out, he put out these really kind of old sounding albums like Transistor and Postwar, which, you know, Fantastic. Full disclosure, that was the point. I mean, I have those burned onto a single CD that got me through my years at the law firm. Like, late yeah. nights, all-nighters, just every song on there works. The sound is great. But but they are intentionally designed sonically to sound like something from an old AM-type station with mm-hmm. a rockabilly beat and some Buddy Holly underneath it, and this and it, that. It is fetishist rock and roll to it's, the extreme. It's But they're all so well-structured and so well-produced and so well-done that they – I think both of those albums, top to bottom work, and I think those are his best two albums if you ask me. So I always want him to get back to that. But by wanting him to get back to that – I'm cutting off. I don't even want him to experiment anymore, which is probably why I'm better with this record than you are. Right, right, right. But but the point is, that was considered kind of like in 2003, 2004, whenever those came out, mm-hmm. which is about when they came out, maybe 05. That was considered like sort of like an experimentation or an underground. Oh, this guy's doing these old it, dusty it was, sounds. It was lo-fi folk. I mean, it's definitely right, right. It's definitely in the thing. Like I mentioned, Iron and Wine before. Right, Iron and, and Wine. Iron Bedroom and- recording sound. Right. And like to his credit, like he I mean, he's continued to pursue, produce consistently like enjoyable albums. Yes. Iron Your Mind, I'm not not sure about that. I kinda like the last Iron and Wine, but we don't need to go there. No. But but the but but I guess the question is then like sort of what I'm I'm trying to raise is was he really ever underground? I mean, in terms of how we perceive what underground is. He's been doing this idea of, I mean, M. Ward went, I love Buddy Holly. I love these other things. Mm-hmm. I want to sound sort of like this uh, modern version of Buddy Holly plus, I don't know what else, mi- mix these other things in. And he does it in different variations, but he's never strayed super far from that general no, tone. No. And so I don't know that he's ever going to be considered indie or experiment well not indie but experimental in that sense so uh, or 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 underground like it's this is not um someone taking a total left detour to to have a whole different sound don't you think i mean this is still like the same thing and maybe that's the biggest criticism of it on the sort of whole foods level is it's still in that genre of really well-constructed well-recorded pleasant um, lo-fi pop where nothing is going to be too offensive to your ear. There's nothing that's pushing the boundaries sonically. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, 
let's listen to a song. Uh, this is actually the single from here. Uh, and one you recommended, uh, Girl from Conejo Valley. Yeah, man. Uh, let's do that and come back and revisit that. Very uh, Wilburys. Very Wilburys. Uh, is there's some mid-period Wilco in there for sure? Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's definitely hits all the sweet spots. Yeah, it. it I I think it, an album that like you don't necessarily pay attention to the lyrics until you pay attention to "Slow Driving Man," uh, which you know we keep we didn't play it, but we keep mentioning it. it might be the outro music. Uh, you know, this one stands out as like at least a cohesive thing, not not completely generalized. It's a story 
Well, let's go to the lyric issue. Okay. Because when I first started writing notes about this, I, I thought, and we were just talking about this offline, he's got a song called uh, Pirate Dial. He used to have a yeah. song called Pirate Radio. And Pirate Dial is the first track after the sound of rain at the beginning, which is kind of nice, actually, with all it the is. birds and stuff and whatever. He just, it's very, it's clearly outside. Um, like really outside, not just like some Foley came in and did the sound of rain. Um, but he, uh, he what I, well, here's what I want to say. The lyrics, other than um, Conejo Valley, are so generalized as to be meaningless in a way. And so at first that was kind of bothering me, but then I looked it up and apparently he started this trying to make an album where it was just him layering vocals on top of vocals to create a sound. So it's like, a recording experience? Like the old doo-wop thing. Uh, and then as he was recording it, it kind of broke out into other pieces and it splayed out this way and that way. And so with that context, the notion that the lyrics are more about, it's sort of like, oh God, I'm going to say it, the first Bonnie Vera album, which is an album I actually like forever, yeah, forever ago, it. right? Is that the lyrics are not as meaningful as the vowel sounds. No, I think he's using words like yeah. baby and maybe here over and over again because I think he just likes, you know, the sort of may and the b of right. the vowel sound. Right. And that's part but, of the doo wop idea. But he's done that like so much. Like what, he's my, not my, he's my not initial, Bob Dylan. Like his no. great talent is guitar and <laughs> yeah, production. Yeah. He's not going to be. My initial thought is listening to this, uh, and, and we can talk about she and him now. Is is that uh, you know this took four this <laughs> we took have to yes this took four years to make, and during the four years I don't know what they put out like eight Christmas albums and you know however many there are stuff. only three she and him albums. There's okay. volume one, volume two, and there's the Christmas but album. They were all bad. No, volume one no, has Patrick, some redeeming Patrick, qualities. Patrick, they were all bad. They were bad. They're not, they're not in, none of them are as good as an individual M Ward album, in my opinion. I b agree with that. Or an album made by Gus. How about that? <laughs> See? I have, I've only heard one song by Gus. Right, it was right. the other jewels, right? Uh, yeah, so, you know, I feel like this was, and that clearly was, whether or not he, he, that was an act of like, I really am into this or not. Like it made him his money now. Well, and maybe that's the reason he got to produce the new Mavis album. I mean, it's hard to maybe it's hard in this in this day and age where nobody can make money selling music. Yeah, it's hard to begrudge somebody uh, teaming up with Zoe Deschanel right. and, and, I, and, and selling a bunch of music. And I'm not disparaging right. him for that. You know, I will always I will always disparage him for the music that was made. But but but. <laughs> You know, you could see a development up through these albums. I quite liked Wasteland Companion. I do as well. And uh, and I quite liked Hold Time. I, I've liked all of his stuff. Uh, and and this just, it, it's like he plateaued. And, and I don't want to blame it on she and him. But, you know, if, if you're spending energy making that, and then you they come haven't back put to, an album for two years. Yeah, but, you know. And she doesn't sing on this one for it the interrupted, love of God. Thank, it, thankfully, finally. Possibly, my theory is interrupted the flow. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. In fact, I'm definitely wrong. <laughs> like, but <laughs> I'm going to hold to my theory. Um, because like, I guess I'm, I'm never, I, I just can't like reach for this, like say over anything else in his catalog. And that might be where you and I part ways. Should should he? I mean, what if he just because 
Like he made the the new Jenny Lewis songs good. How about that? He's a great producer. No, I mean live. Yeah, but well, well, yeah. First of all, yeah, we've acknowledged his guitar skills, but yeah. he is. If you've never seen him in person, go see him in person. Yes. It's like watching someone who's playing the nine thirty club on May first. I have tickets. Uh, it's like someone wa- watching someone who has octopus hands mm-hmm. because you can't believe that there are like only five fingers on his right hand because yeah. he covers so much stuff. Yeah, it's unbelievable. He's also got Scott McKay yeah. playing with him now. He's so. always got good musicians with him. Always, even I. I saw Monsters of Folk. I'm not kidding. Yeah. I I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, he was great. Yeah, yeah he was great. He like, was great. The, the, the product wasn't, yeah. but but that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, it it's a. Uh, it, it's weird. It's sort of breaking my brain that that I am not a big fan of this. I mean, yeah, that's been clear, I think, through our discussion. And we're trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to give him false praise or like try to, you know, find, you know, polish the turd or whatever, because it's not that. But I, you know, I think back to when I've listened to M Ward and how much, like, you know, it's been like a good part of like my life. Like, I mean, he's, we're indie rock fans. Right. Squarely in that Whatever era. Whatever that means. Squarely in that era. Yeah. Oh, uh, for sure. Yeah. And if not for albums like this, this, or not albums like this, but artists like this, this site wouldn't exist. It wouldn't. Okay. Uh, I mean, it probably would. It'd just be all Boston. Uh, but and Megadeth. And, and Megadeth. <laughs> no. Um, Crowded House. <laughs> Which is actually coming. Uh, yes. Yeah, the uh, Crowded House cast. But... I guess to see it level level out, I don't know if it's a him thing or if it's a me thing. Or or a she? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's a him thing or a me thing that, that it just didn't, it, it's not, it just, it feels like unnecessary. It feels like I'd rather him go out on tour and play another album. I feel like, you know, we mm-hmm. talk a lot about what albums are these days and the money you spend in an album. Now, you contextualizing that as this experiment, now that I know that, I feel like a giant asshole. I'm like, eh, man. No, because I'm not. I'm a, I, your reaction is your reaction. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't have to read three articles about an album before you decide if it's good. Right, or right, right, right. It's good or it's not. Right. And, you, and, you know, and but at the same time, he should be able to trade on his cachet and do something like that. Well, it, what's interesting about this is I think this is a step forward in that it's a step back towards transistor radio and post-war. I think you don't feel that way. No, I think I you feel like it's no. a step back no, period I, I, or a step I, sideways. I, I feel this is this is the most polished thing he's done, the most generically, not generic, but generically M. Ward thing he's done. You're saying he sounds too much like himself. Yes. That's a strange criticism it's for a 42-year-old man. But, <laughs> but we're the same age, actually. I know. And, and... If, I mean, follow me on this, is that he made this album and it sounds like it's just like, I know what I have to do to do this. Yeah. Not like I'm being me, but I know what I have to do to be me. And that's what I get off of it because there's not a lot of meat to it. I guess I guess that's what it comes down to. Well, the first five times you listen, you listen to Transistor Radio and Postwar, did you think there was a lot of meat to them? Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought the, I thought I thought the atmosphere and that that was great. That's what was great about that time period is that you had 
uh, albums like that that didn't exist. Well, you, you, I will say, top to bottom, there's not a bad song on either one of those. I mean, no. frankly, and there are a couple clunkers on this, but yeah. but but it's 37 minutes. There's like maybe one or two. I actually think the bulk, the the great majority are are decent or good. But I think that's where we differ. Yeah, I think so. So what are you going to do with it, man? I'm going to buy it. No I've shit. been thinking long and hard about it. I was, uh, I mean, I was always going to stream it, and I own uh, a number of M Ward records. But I, I do. Let me say a couple things. I know I'm, I, one. You one. Can say one. I, I've been a self criticism as I always take too long to say my conclusion on the buy stream. So I'll I'll say straight up that I think it's a grower. I think more listens are rewarded. I do think there's some real ear candy on the headphones. If you listen to this over and over again, when he throws his voice down low and that little echo, when he drops the horns in certain places, things like that, I think it's rewarded. I think it holds up. I think there's only like two tracks that don't really work. And I think that the first half of the album up through Slow Driving Man mostly works. The uh, I'm Listening song, is that what it is? Is that the fifth song? Yeah, I'm listening is child's theme is a little bit of a snore, but the guitar playing is pretty great. And so for the most part, I'm all on board with with this album. I think it's a return to form, but that's because I just think his proper form is transistor radio and post-war. I think hold time kind of stinks or it's a lesser okay. album. And I, I really like uh, Wasteland Companion and I own it, but it's not my favorite M word. And this is getting back to my favorite M word. Okay. I'm going to stop talking. Uh, I, I'm going to stream it because I, uh, for some of the reasons, the, the, I, I'm a fan of what uh, M word is doing. I am a big fan. We, you know, the conceit of Slow Driving Man is that he's, whether or not it's a true story, I don't know if he writes from a, a personal place or tells a story, but he gets a phone call that his friend died in a car crash. Mm-hmm. And it's immediately compelling, and you're, you're into it. And it's the most compelling song on the album, and uh, you should listen to it. It's, be- it's, it's the best thing he's done. But and- if you hear it on the surface without paying attention to the lyrics, yeah. it is the same goddamn M. Ward song. Mm, it's got it was- a slightly different rhythm. It's probably the best thing he's done in 10 years, my opinion. Yeah. That, that song is the most song, interesting yeah, song yeah. he's done in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Other than that, Zoe Deschanel. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah. So so for that it, it'll get a stream. I I uh I really wish I enjoyed this more. Uh but you know it de- you know at the end of the day it doesn't matter because he's going to sell it to the 30 club. He's going to sell a fuck ton of these albums and uh and then he will continue on. Well, and he's producing Mavis. I mean, I think that there's yeah. some uh Look, I don't think you would begrudge that M has pretty good taste in music. No, I, I think he's. Yeah. I think it's important that he's out there. Yeah, and so I think if if it means he's able to continue and grow as an not only an artist who makes music but an artist who produces music, I think it's all good. But I think your take is valid. I think there will yeah. be a lot of people in that camp who are M Ward fans. So. Yeah. So, uh, M Ward, more rain. That's about it. This is a song about a slow driving man And I'm about to sing it just as slow as I can 
We've now reached a point in the podcast where we like to uh, feature a track that we have been uh, digging or an artist who we've been digging that we haven't just don't have time to spend like an hour or two talking about, which sounds makes me sound like a giant asshole. But like, look, it's it's a lot of time, man. Uh, this one, though, I'm turning over to Patrick because you uh, you actually brought this to my attention. I've been I've been checking this out a uh, little moody man, DJ kick. So uh, tell us about it. All right, well, to start with, DJ Kicks is a series. I guess there have been 49 or 50 of them where a DJ is invited in to make a mix album. And the Moody Man DJ Kicks album is the 49th or 50th of those. So it is not original Moody Man material. Fair warning, and we'll play a track in a minute. But it is still got the Moody Man signature sound to it. And if you're not familiar with Moody Man, that's uh, got two ends at the end. Moody Man is a Detroit-based, or originally Detroit-based, DJ producer, I guess you could say he's a recording artist rapper, um, who really traffics. It's almost like, I'll tell you, uh, this is the best comparison I can make. It's almost like how Jay Dilla takes old school funk and kind of flops it on its ear to make really good hip hop. Right. Uh, Moody man takes old school funk and flops it on its ear to rate and mixes like a more of a house electronic side of it. Yeah. But everything sounds dusty. Everything sounds stripped down and analog and vinyl and gritty and dirty. Like there's not a song that he could take. He could take the most happy, shiny pop song you've ever heard and make it sound grimy. And that's his great talent. Um, and you'll hear that on this DJ Kicks album. If you've not heard his 2014 self-titled release, Moody Man, where he actually is the primary voice Highly recommend. It's long. It's sprawling. It's funny. It's got braggadocio. It's got a lot of stuff about Detroit. Yep. He's got a great. I, sense I of actually humor. haven't heard it, so it's I, I'm it's wonderful. Checking it out, like probably tomorrow. Um, but he also, if if I think we're going to put in the show notes, one of his albums called uh, Black Mahogany. You can get you can listen to the whole thing on YouTube. It's an hour long. He mixes in movie clips. He li- he mixes in jazz. He mixes in all kinds of things, and he's just really got a great sensibility for gritty grimy, uh, old soul stuff. I mean, mixed with jazz, mixed with all kinds of things. And he's definitely got a voice about his politics and his personality. But it's also like, you know, Moody Man 2014 has an album where he's like calling a woman and asking if she likes fried chicken. I mean, it's <laughs> it's funny in places. Yeah. It's silly in places. It's sort of insouciant in places. So um, we'll play a song, but if you've not ever heard Moody Man before and you like this, pick up the DJ Kicks, look at his old stuff. I think he's great. All right, so what's the name of the song? Uh, we're going to play a mix uh, by Moody Man of a Jai Paul song. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Jai Paul. Uh, called BTSTU. There are a lot of really good tracks on this. And I, before you play it, the whole DJ Kicks thing, is it starts mellow and it builds and builds and it gets sort of more raucous and uh, up-tempo. I'm, as like, I'm looking at it like, y'all, Cody Chestnut. Yeah. Uh, Dopehead. Uh, the Dopehead track is good. The Cody Chestnut track is really Sean good. Lee. It goes to um, Flying Lotus, Nightmares on Wax. So. He, he does a Jose Gonzalez song. I mean, it's yeah. very interesting. All right. So here you go. Since you should be something to see 
All right. Uh, Moody Man. Moody Man. It Very is. Funny. Uh, yeah, I was Very listening fun. to this today on uh, my long ass commute. It's it very nice. Yeah, it's definitely like a vibe record. Sure. And all of his stuff is kind of vibe-ish. Like it's you, paying close attention is not the best thing. Paying medium half attention is going to be the way it goes. For yeah. You. Yeah. But it's all good. And he's yeah. very talented. So we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Patrick, thank you for coming down on this thank you for having me. Thursday night after our, not Kanye storms, but like serious storms yep. here. I hope everybody uh, listening to this, especially down Richmond way. I know PJ had to hide. Uh, is okay after all of that. Uh, that is our podcast for this week. As usual, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave a review. You can leave a. Can you leave a message on iTunes? Just like a note. I don't know. You know what I was thinking about the other day? What if people write us an email and we'd read it on? Well, the they podcast? could. You, you, we all have emails here. They're on the site, but you can also like. There's also info at chunkyglasses.com. It goes to everybody. It annoys everybody. Like, whatever you want to email us. Uh, you can listen to us on Stitcher. You can follow us on, let's see, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. We become a little more active on that. Snapchat, as I said the last thing, I have no idea. Tinder. Oh. Well. Maybe not. Gus is on Tinder. Uh, but I hope you're into that. But he, he's a looker. He's a looker. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so all, all those things. Uh, we will be back uh, in a few short days. Until then, uh, get out and see some live music. Be good to your ears. Be better to your people. See you later. Oh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>